It is good to be back among you after being away last weekend for a family wedding in my home state of Iowa. It was uh, a niece's wedding and it was a marvelous occasion. I was thinking about that because that was last weekend and then before we even uh, returned home, I received news of the death of a longtime member of our congregation. He and his wife had celebrated just several weeks ago their 70th wedding anniversary. That is a lifetime in and of itself, isn't it? Bookends, beginning marriage, and being married in 70 years. Stewardship is so much more than money. It is about the stewardship, the managing of time and relationships among many other things. You will note in the weekly word for today, there is an article there about uh, my own health situation. I will be undergoing prostate cancer surgery in the week ahead on Thursday. This follows thyroid cancer surgery uh, in early August. And so uh, I ask for your prayers for that as I enter into surgery. That too is an aspect of stewardship, is it not? managing our own health and well-being, stewardship of life. It is week number three in this stewardship series, four words on stewardship. Thus far, we've heard of the first two, thanksgiving and persistence. These are important words from Scripture, and they have much to say to us about what it means to steward, to manage God's gifts that are entrusted into our care and keeping. Today, that third word, as Pastor Campbell shared, as you note in the bulletin, is humility, something which we see in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in that gospel lesson. That is the theme for the message this day. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. There is humility and then there's false humility which is really the sin of pride. We see these contrasted there in the temple in Jerusalem, which is the location for this parable which Jesus told. Two men come before God, one trusting in himself, the other not. And the irony here is that when Jesus first told this parable, people would have expected it to be the other way around. They would have expected the tax collector to be the bad guy and the upstanding Pharisee to be the good guy. But it's not that way at all, is it? Jesus turns expectations upside down on their head. Tax collectors were Hebrew citizens who collaborated with the hated Romans for the gathering of taxes that were due to Rome. So they were pretty much shunned by their fellow Hebrew citizens, branded as traitors who fleeced their fellow countrymen and got rich in the process. And it is precisely because this man knew where he stood, 
He knew he was despised. He knew he was hated. He didn't have a leg to stand on, that he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. All he could say was what we said in our confession of sins this morning. God be merciful to me, a sinner. His humility was driven by the harsh reality of his own life situation. And sometimes it's like that in life, isn't it? We first have to be humbled. We have to get over ourselves. We have to at times be driven to our knees and it is only then that we see the utter poverty and stupidity and foolishness of what we have done. We see our situation in life for what it really is. And it is then that we are prepared and ready in repentance to receive what the Lord has to give to us. Over against this tax collector, we see the Pharisee. He was a member of that strict, observant party within Judaism, which scrupulously kept all of the law of Moses, every jot, every tittle of the law, and enforced this upon the community around them in daily life. The Pharisees were looked upon as being the most godly and righteous people that there were. But there is not an ounce of humility in this guy. It's all about him as he stands before God, trumpeting his accomplishments. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Oh, and by the way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or <laughs> even like him, this tax collector. Wow. Pretty extreme, right? Notice how much I language there is in his prayer. It is a curious thing that in the English language, the only personal pronoun that is capitalized is I. Why is that? Not you. Not he, not she, not we, not they, only I. Why is that? There's a piece of homework for you to take home and chase that down. I would like to know that myself. And what kind of message does that send? That somehow I am more important or better than you or he or she or we or they. If there is to be humility in our lives before others and certainly before God, we're going to have to make that capital I lower case. Stewardship of God's gifts is rooted in humility, not ours to begin with. 
but Jesus, humility. Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. This Jesus loved us, literally, unto death and shed his blood in order to buy us back, to redeem us, to set us free from a life focused on the capital I that is so self-focused to the exclusion of people around us, setting us free from sin, setting us free for service to others. And our model here is Jesus himself, who came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for us all, that we might reflect a life like Jesus, striving to reflect his grace and goodness in managing life in its totality. We need Jesus' help each and every day to root out the sinful pride that continually tries to rear its ugly head in our lives. We need Jesus' help every step along the way of our journey of faith. We need Jesus' help with stewarding ourselves, our time, our possessions, we must become like little children, Jesus tells us. You see, little children need help. They can't do everything on their own. I remember when my girls were little. You have to, and you probably do too. Little children need help with dressing. They need help with uh, meals. They need help with uh, bath. They need help tying their shoes. They need help. They're not capable of doing all of those things. There is a sense of dependency. And that, Jesus says, is what his followers, his children, must be like. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child in humble and trusting faith, shall not enter it. Today's Old Testament lesson from Genesis 4 records how that first sin of pride and disobedience by Adam and Eve spread from the garden out into the field as Cain killed his brother Abel, the first murder recorded in scripture. Cain's response to God's question echoes down the corridors of time throughout the generations. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Yes, you are. Yes, we are our brother's and our sister's keeper. We are not told specifically why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's, which caused him to become very angry, resentful. 
leading him to actually kill his brother. What we are told is this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Sounds like the farmers versus the ranchers here, doesn't it? But there is a difference. It's not that the fruits of the earth were somehow uh, of lesser importance than livestock. What we are told is Abel brought a sacrifice of the first, the best, the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. If Cain did the same, that is not recorded in Scripture. You know, so often in life, we are all about comparisons, aren't we? Comparing ourselves to this person or that person or this household or that household. And I just shared one with you, Cain and Abel. But at the end of the day, does it serve any good purpose when we do those kinds of comparisons? It usually does not end well for us. And like Cain will lead to negative consequences, let us instead follow that example of Abel and bring the first, the best of what we have to the Lord. This is called first fruits giving. And it is as ancient as this text here from Genesis. Remembering that all we are, all we have comes from the Lord, let us return to the Lord a first fruits sacrifice of thanksgiving. This means that our offering does not come from the leftovers of our lives, after we have paid every other bill and every other obligation, our rent or mortgage, our utilities, car payment, tuition, groceries, whatever, and then we see what's left over, and then we will return that to the Lord. That is an insult to God, who has bestowed every good gift and blessing upon us and did not withhold the life of his only son, and we would return to God these measly portions of the leftovers of our lives, there's a better way, people of God. Let us offer with joy and thanksgiving an offering of first fruits, which, by the way, the Lord abundantly blesses those who entrust and commit themselves to him, and there is no lack. Let us offer with humble joy and thanksgiving as the psalmist writes, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. When we gather for worship next weekend on Reformation Sunday, 
remember to wear red. Red is the color for reformation. We will also in worship bring here to the Lord's altar our commitments for ministry in 2017. Next year, 2017, will mark the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, beginning with Luther's posting of those 95 theses on the doors of the Castle Church in Wittenberg in 1517 until 500 years later in 2017. We will rejoice in what God accomplished through his servant. Martin Luther, calling the church back to what is central to our faith, that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, which is revealed in Holy Scripture alone. The last recorded words of Dr. Martin Luther found on a scrap of paper in his pocket shortly after his death on February 18, 1546, were these. We are beggars. This is true. Before God, the maker and owner of heaven and earth, we are, all of us, beggars who have no claim on God, can expect no good from God except through the merits of Jesus Christ, whose blood cleanses us from all sin. It is only through faith in Jesus that we have any hope. And this generates within God's people a deep sense of humility. Like the tax collector, we can only say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And in Jesus, God has been merciful. So as we bring our commitments for ministry forward next weekend, we do so with humble hearts, giving thanks to the Lord for his gifts and mercies that are new to us every day. Four words on stewardship. Thanksgiving, persistence, humility. Our fourth and final word on stewardship will be shared next week and as we give thanks to God for the Reformation and bring our first fruits offering to his altar. May the Lord be honored and glorified through our stewardship of his gifts in daily life. Amen.